Ten years ago, on the night of October 31st, a small Midwestern town fell victim to an escaped killer. Under the cover of darkness, he carried out the most horrifying mass murder on record. Sixteen people in cold blood. Ever since that night, no one has forgotten his name. And Halloween has never been the same. Now, Michael Myers has come home. He has returned for one more night of unholy terror. to kill that little girl and anybody who gets in his way. Oh, God. Who's going to be next? Ah! Halloween 4, the return of Michael Myers. Maybe nobody knows how to stop him. theater and the usher nods me in. They know me here. I descend down the staircase behind the movie screen that only select people know about. The door at the bottom opens and I walk in. The sound of movie spoilers fill the air. The barkeep has my drink ready and motions me to the back. The rest of the crew are here already. This is my type of place and these are my type of people. Join me as we discuss the inner secrets of cinema. Have a seat in the spoiler room. Welcome everyone to the spoiler room. Happy New Year. 2022 is here. It means a new season of the spoiler room. I realize I have done an episode every week for the last two years without a break. None whatsoever. Um, and I'm going. I don't plan on stopping. And man, do we got a great year for you. We got our special lineup of horror of 1988. And Ian's talked me into doing more themed months. It's his fault. So you can blame him. Uh, <laughs> so thank you for venturing down the stairs, pulling up the chair and grabbing your favorite drink. And uh, yeah, oh, I got a little for talking spoiler movies. Uh, movie spoilers with us tonight and it's four on the floor month we're covering horror films this month and it's not always going to be horror films every month but we're covering horror films this month the fourth in a franchise and i've got a great crew with me tonight to talk about the first film which just happens to be out in 1988 but it's not officially a horror of 1988 episode I know. Stay confused, folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> other in this crew, we've got back in the spoiler room. We've got Michael with us. How you doing, Michael? Thanks for coming back. And it's so appropriate I'm you're here really well. for another Halloween film. I was I was trying to. Sh- <laughs> Hold on a second. Sure. I was trying to share the episode. And then I was hearing like double. Mark oh, yeah. You don't want double. Like, Holy Mark. crap. Most Anyways, I am doing well. This is my first episode of this year. Yes, it uh, how, is. I think I was I think I was only on one official episode last year, and then uh, Patreon. Yeah, yeah, 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, and the Patreon was us talking about uh, Halloween, but Halloween, not that Halloween or the other Halloween, but the, the newest Halloween called Halloween. Uh, <laughs> no, we're, uh, sort of. Halloween, Halloween or Halloween Oh, Kills. Halloween Kills. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't, I still don't think you like it, but I think I might have con- turned you, your mind just a little bit. You, you moved the needle from all the way in the red to kind of in the yellow. Uh, so. <laughs> oh, that movie was all the way in the yellow for me. Yeah. <laughs> There's more like the bodily fluid range. Sorry. <laughs> and yes, folks, those dulcet toads are none other than Mr. Ian Simmons. Hello, Ian. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Glad to have you once again here with us. You you just keep coming back. I'm uh, glad to be here with the thematic coloring on the on the name badges. You You're like that? Great use of this yeah, like that I'm a fan of that, too. <laughs> I, I I stole that from you because your great show there that you do with your live stream where you're covering right now, Mando. Yeah, I took your th- thunder away. Um, uh, you're covering okay. Book of Boba. Uh, you you do the colored theme, so I figured I'd try it. But yes, it is world. I love it. It is orange. It is January. What a perfect month to talk about horror. Uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh well, we got scream coming out. Scre- next week. You got scream coming out next week. So there, there is that. Uh, so yes, folks, we are talking Halloween for the return of Michael Myers and Ian, you get a reprieve again. I want to have our good guest, Michael here, give the synopsis of Halloween four. Mm. Cause I know you are a Halloween fan. Yes. Okay. So Halloween four picks up, I would say, uh, at least eight years after the, the first two Halloweens, eight or nine years later, um, with, uh, some well-worn territory, Michael Myers survived the explosion (laughs) of Halloween two somehow, uh, and has been locked up again at a different sanitarium nearby Haddonfield they have a, they are chock full of sanitariums um and with some amazing exposition down an elevator we find out that he not only survived that explosion as i said but that he's been locked up here well they're going to transport him he escapes uh but only after finding out that his his flesh and blood sister mm. lori strode had a daughter and at that point, he finds his killer rage. He kills everyone in the ambulance and walks his happy ass back to Haddonfield to finish what he had started. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Well, well said. <laughs> well said. I, I like that synopsis. That's a, that's a good one. You make it sound good. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. I kid. But um yeah, Halloween 4, this is one that's talked about where we were talking about it before the show. People seem to either really love this film or hated this film. Uh, Ian, where do you sit with Halloween 4? We'll get initial reactions before we dive into the film. You know, 1988, this was the year that I started having sleepovers with friends in school. Uh, much like the the spoiler room, I would like I s- felt like I was having a sleepover every week <laughs> uh, at someone's house, like different, you know, of my friends would host and we'd rent horror movies on VHS and it's like stay up till all hours watching stuff that we probably shouldn't have. And I remember watching Halloween four and all me and my buddies were really impressed with it. We loved it. Uh, I officially having watched it again today, 30 some years later, 
uh, grown out of this movie. <laughs> it is, <laughs> it is not good. Um, and, and partially, I think that's what I liked about it at the time was we were watching a lot of like really gory. This is like the late eighties. So it was like mm-hmm. the over the top extreme unrated versions of horror slasher movies where you're seeing like blood and guts and everything. And this was, you know, relatively understated aside from like a throat ripping, which comes really late in the proceedings. There's not a whole lot of really graphic material here. No, so I think I was, in, that comes in the next one. The next right. one's pretty gnarly. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I think that's what it, it was kind of an oasis. Uh, it was something different that I responded to back then, but now I'm watching it. I'm like, what's the point of watching this? It's not scary. It's not suspenseful. It's not as artfully done as the original Halloween. And yet it's not as slashery, you know, gorific, like check this out, uh, as you know, some of the other slasher movies, some of the, even the other Halloween movies. So I'm just kind of like, eh, it doesn't really move the needle for me, uh, except for, um loomis's boil uh he was horribly burned in the same accident and the first time you see him he's got this giant fucking like polyp boil thing on his cheek and first of all it moves and then it disappears and then it reappears in a different place and then it disappears altogether <laughs> that was that was that was the it's, highlight of me it was like where, where's loomis's boil <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. <laughs> I, all things considered, I actually kind of like this film, mm. but I'm also, I'm not necessarily, so I think part of the, re- so I've often been considered a pretty a pretty lenient critic, and mm-hmm. I think it's because I don't necessarily, like, being in film school, there was just so much negativity. There's like everything fucking sucked because <laughs> people would pretty much, they'd have one scale. Like, here's the greatest movie of all time. How is everything else compared to that mm-hmm. and i just think that's exhausting yeah so like i i kind of put each movie on its own scale and how i feel about it in that moment so like i you know in in the the plethora of cinema history no this is not a very good movie but in <laughs> comparison to the halloween franchise it's not bad i i it fluctuates for me and i think part of the reason why is i do have pretty fond memories of this movie mainly because i have just terrible kinder trauma associated with it <laughs> oh, wow. um a- a- AMC used to do like before they did before they showed nothing but walking dead during Halloween, they used to do <laughs> a Halloween marathon every right. year and they'd show one or two movies a night. And once again, you know, you're flipping through channels and you're kind of watching through your hands and everything. Cause he's like, as a kid, I was fascinated by these movies, but they scared me. So like, I'd always watch it, the volume off. And it, I feel like the, the two movies that I got the, I saw the most of flipping through the channels was this and then the next one five. So I kind of like, they mm. kind of run together for me. Um, and no, compared to the original film, this movie is not very good. Like you said, it's not, it's not really gory. It doesn't really handle the suspense. I actually think the film is really good. If not, I don't want to say great, but I would say really good. Uh, until we actually start in, until kind of like the third act. Cause like when, when Michael is just kind of seen just little bits and pieces, it's, it, it kind of works. And I, I like the, the look and the style they're going to for this film. But as soon as we have to interact with him and he's just fucking doing the robot through the entire film, it just doesn't work <laughs> as well. Um, though it's funny. Uh, it's a very long thing. I'm, I'm getting at, uh, everyone complains about teleporting Jason, but no one ever talks about teleporting Michael. And he does it at least a couple times in this film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but ultimately I like it. I, I, I think it's, it's, it, it establishes like, 
the, the vibe and aesthetic that I like out of a Halloween film. Um, uh, I think uh, Daniel Harris is really good. And the actress who plays her, mm-hmm. her, her sisters also actually, I think all of the actors for all, all things considered are, are pretty good in this film. It's just, it's, it feels like too, it fe- just feels like it's too late. Yeah. By this point, like what, what you said, Ian, why are we watching this film? Mm-hmm. By the point 1988, who gives a fuck? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I, honestly, and this is why something I can appreciate as an adult and not necessarily as a kid. But you know, the last Halloween movie before this would had been about like what five years earlier with mm-hmm. uh, Halloween three season of the witch, right? Which you know is a lot. It's beloved by a lot of people. I haven't watched it long enough to remember how I feel about it as a movie, but I love the concept. Um, of the movie itself and also what it meant for what would have been the mm-hmm. vision for the Halloween franchise, you know, doing something a little different, making more of an mm-hmm. anthology series. But in the late eighties, everything was coming back around. Like uh Nightmare on Elm Street was, you know, chugging along, putting out sequels Friday the 13th. So they're like, Hey, look, we've got this Halloween. Let's bring back Michael Myers, the return of Michael Myers. So they put out this movie that is almost, sort of a requel of the original Halloween because a lot of the beats are very much the same. You've got the, you know, he escapes from the sanitarium granted by ambulance, but there's also a bit where he, I think he kills a mechanic in the first movie and you see the, the, the gown and the, and the kind of the brambles off the, you know, in the extreme foreground of the scene, there's just a lot of stuff that's repeated. And then at the end, this kind of house siege, it's not nearly as tension filled as it was where it's just like the babysitter with the two kids in the house. It's like, uh, you know, the sheriff and the dumb teenagers, you're just kind of waiting for the body count to, to continue. The house siege should have been a lot cooler mm, and yeah. it's, it's been done better hell in this own franchise, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but no, you hit something right on the head. Like while all the, like a lot of the slasher sequels all kind of tread water and they do the same thing. It almost feels like this one's trying to like remind you what this franchise is about, but in a very safe way, because if you look at like what the other franchises were doing, I'm just look, I'm just doing a quick little Google uh, search of what 1988 and horror looks like. And so you have nightmare on Elm street four, uh, which, you know, at this point they had that fr- franchise hasn't completely gone off the rails yet. Starting to, mm. um, Friday the 13th part 7. How crazy is that? The the the, the franchise that ripped off Halloween already has seven seasons <laughs> on at this point. And it's I can so when you when you're watching it in the context of just watching these films. You know, when cuz usually it's very rare that I just like let me just put in Halloween four, you know, usually <laughs> if I'm watching it's because I'm doing a rewatch of some sort and True. then rewatching them in context of each other. So it's, I'm, it's not often that I'm thinking about like what else was going on in the world, in the world of horror films at that time. And this film's just see, feels so tame in yeah. comparison. Well, also because you bring up a, I know I was talking about the sequels and then you kind of bring out like what sequels were happening in 1988 and the key there is that 88 was uh, the new blood Friday the 13th part seven, as you mentioned, that was where Jason fights, you know, Carrie, you know, I the, love the that girl, one. the psychic powers, right? I yeah. Hate that one. <laughs> See, I, I, I love that one. I, I thought that one was great because it was different. It was like, I, holy shit. Someone's standing up for, you know, 
I, I love it too. I, I realize there's a lot of problems with that movie, but it's also the film that gave us, you know, the definitive Jason Kane Hodder and all yeah. the makeup effects and all that stuff. Nightmare on Street 4, uh, the Dream Master, that was picking up what the, the seeds that were planted in Dream Warriors and really blowing yeah. out the fantasy element. And I still like that one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a great sequel. Uh Hellraiser 2, Hellbound. Was taking that really? the yeah, that was 88. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you're taking you know, this very small concept of Hellraiser, you know, horror in a house and saying, okay, what does hell look like for these creatures? So you're taking these established, you know, big money franchises that everybody loves and doing what I always love it when franchises do, but really do nowadays, which is say, you've got guaranteed asses and seats. Don't do the same thing over again. Go crazy, you know, well, really expand the imagination. Whereas Halloween four is the, it, we're just going to go back to the well and show you a not very good version of Carpenter. Yeah, it was the same thing. Like you're saying, like even like Phantasm Two, which came out that year. They're like, let's take right. Phantasm and put it on the road, uh, and they did something different. And like I said, why? Well, like, I guess part of the reason why I feel like I'm so lenient on Halloween Four because I'm also thinking about like, what comes next, and it's it's a fine Halloween slasher. Mm-hmm. it's fine is the good word especially i mean it's it is halloween one compared to all the other sequels that we're getting from this point on yeah hell i'd, I'd say mainly because i'm not a huge super fan of this one i think it's at least on par with halloween two which i don't think as is as good as others claim it to be i don't think it's bad but i don't think it's it's nearly as good as the first one i think it's actually kind of on the same level as halloween four but that's just sure. me. I haven't seen Halloween. That, Halloween two is the one I've seen least. I was actually going to try and fit it in to have that mm. context, but I, didn't, I ran out of time. Mark, hey, welcome back to your hey, show. Hey, how you doing? This is the Ian and Michael <laughs> not, show now. Not, not only that, not only that, but Ian is not only spoiling movies, but he's spoiling the rest of the season. Thank you very much for that. No, just kidding. No, this is a perfect. We didn't have to know that, Mark. No, this is this is a. <laughs> we perfect... could have talked the horror of nineteen eighty eight while skipping over the biggest no, horror films. No, I'm 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 just joking. It. This is a great opening for the season because this is part of the reason why i wanted to do the horror of 1988 we've covered a lot of horror from this year and when i just did a google search and wikipedia look of it i didn't realize because when i was younger i didn't really pay attention you know you don't pay attention you just oh really pay attention to the year it comes out i looked at the sheer volume of horror that came out this year and you can see why like you're saying mike and, and ian both that this is a fine slasher film it just happened to come out during the saturation peak season of horror cinema i mean there was so much out there that it does come off as tame to where if it came out at a time when there wasn't as much horror maybe it would have been better received i know you know I, i i honestly think because a lot of these kills happen off screen or they're in the shadows you get bloody bodies but they're in the shadows kind of they're not really out you're right. All the actors in here. That's what surprised me is watching this again, because I haven't watched this in ages. Performances here are fine. And for a young, a very young actress, Daniel Harris is actually really good in this for a young actress in, you know, in a horror movie or just in a movie in general to where she's not, a you know, not the main star, but she's still one of the key featured characters in here. You know, I, I guess for me, the one thing that kind of I'm like, why did the whole idea of Laurie Strode being Michael's sister? I've never quite mm. agreed with. I've always thought that was an odd angle, you know, and they they try to justify it in here a little more with 
you know, Daniel, she easily could have been Mike Myers niece and just don't say who her mother was. It was just maybe another relative of Mike Myers. It doesn't really matter. We don't know at this point the full family tree of the Myers family. So it could who knows? He maybe had another sibling. But the minute she shows the picture of Jamie Lee Curtis and you're like, she's crying because she's remembering her mom. I'm like, oh, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, but what's more funny about this is watching this again. I there's a scene, folks, and we're going to be jumping around here. I, I mean, there's a scene later on where the townsfolk go nuts. They decide to go out and find out why no one's answering the phone at the cop shop. I was hoping you were going to bring this they, up. They drive up, literally, and they're standing in front of the cops. And I'm like, this all seems so very familiar. And literally, one of the guys says, we're going to go get him. And I said, Evil tonight. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. Literally, in my head, I'm like, someone say it. Someone say evil dies tonight. Because I'm, but it's not just that. I was sitting there watching, like, oh, Ben, Mark's going to hate this movie. <laughs> no, but it was funny is watching this, I'm like, this is nearly a, not, quite beat for beat but very halloween kills is very similar to this movie in in many ways at least the beats you got more of the town involved which we didn't really have in the first halloween you know you've got uh the niece he's still coming back he's going back to the i mean there's a lot of beats in here that felt familiar one of the things i liked but i think in the hands of a better director no offense to this director. I think he does fine with the material he's given, yeah. but that's my complaint too. Yeah. is there's a wonderful scene in here that I was hoping they have a little more done. So the townsfolk are going out on their lynch mob looking for Mike Myers. They come upon a park with a gazebo. Phil, it's a gazebo next to the gazebo. There's bushes that are moving. And one of them thinks they saw Mike Myers in the bushes. Yeah. So they unload RoboCop style into the bushes. I mean, these guys just keep firing. Oh, my favorite part was the lead up to that was that they're driving like a block and a half down. And he taps on the top. He's like, he's over there. Yeah. How do you see this bush movie from over there, dude? I'm watching on a 55-inch TV and right next to it, I barely saw it. And so they unload into the bushes and then they go up to the bushes. Afterwards, they go, oh, that's so-and-so. Oh, and they move on. They're just, like, they're just like, oh, they just killed an innocent person in the bushes. Oh well, okay, let's yeah. move on. <laughs> like, so like, there's a scene I want to I want to talk about because yeah. like it it's it's I jokingly said on my letterbox review that it just feels like pure cinema, but that's just me being just a contrarian. Um, I want to talk about the scene in uh near the beginning of the film at the gas station where Loomis mm. shows up and sees him and was as despite this is actually a scene I kind of like because it's like their first like little meeting together. Um, and Loomis pulls out the gun and puts out, like six shots and he's just gone. Like at what point did you not see him walk away or that he wasn't there? Like, like we don't see Michael run away and like, were you already shoot? Like, I don't know. But my favorite part about that entire scene is not the fact that Michael just, just, just disappears. I was, I just love that. I imagine it was, the conversation between the director and the producer where they're like, I don't know. We're shooting in Colorado. Are people going to believe this is, this is Illinois. Hmm, I don't know. Let's put a bunch of pictures of Abraham Lincoln on the wall behind him. 
And it's all like the same three pictures. They're just like rotated and look in the different direction. And and I was like, yeah, that feels like a producer decision. <laughs> it almost feels like when you're watching a movie made by an Italian director and they're sh- they're trying to make Italy look like America. So they just put American flags everywhere. Yeah, that's kind of what this felt like. <laughs> Go ahead, Ian. <laughs> uh, uh, no, that that shot is very strange because there is that really crazy, like fast zoom in on Michael Myers as you see him standing in the kitchen. He's wearing the the jumpsuit that he's taken from the mechanic, but his he- his head is still all bandaged up. So it's almost an optical illusion. You're like, is he wearing the mask? Where did he get the mask? But no, it's just bandages. But then when Loomis pulls out the gun and shoots, Myers disappears. You're right, but the shot that they uh, use to indicate that. The, he has disappeared from that background. It's like this weird close-up of dishes, which I don't even know where those were in the background <laughs> relating related to Michael Myers. It felt like it was almost like a, a close-up of the wall that was 18 feet behind him. <laughs> like I don't know. I, I'm not what? sure what was going on there, but he was the shape at this point, so he, he can. We, yeah, he, he's not Michael Myers. Say, really, he can just like disappear. They're already hinting at the the whole. Uh, you know, the whole paranormal type of yeah. thing at this point in this in, in this front, you can see it hitting where he just suddenly disappears. And then, of course, we obviously get it later on. Um, well, honestly, like what, what was taking me out of, out of the film, this most recent watch, Mark, on the Halloween Kills episode, one thing we uh, I was talking about that I actually kind of appreciated about uh, Halloween Kills mm-hmm. was that it's the first time since like the very first film that Michael Myers felt like Michael Myers. He felt mm-hmm. like he was like moving like the character probably because Nick Castle came back and played him, but they also had another guy playing him too. So they, they mimicked each other's movements very well. It was pain. It, Cause this is one thing that always bothered me about Halloween two, And it's even worse than this one where the actors who are playing Michael don't fucking move at all. They just, like a fucking stoic dude. <laughs> it's almost like every time we see Michael standing there, it's like, did they just put a dummy in overalls? It's not until he moves, they're like, oh, that's a person. <laughs> well, like, I mean, there's there's no characteristics to his movements, to his body, and it's just it's dull. Like it's it's that's what I was saying. Like when he's the looming threat, or or it's it's it kind of works, but like once you see him in these action scenes and just it, it just feels like a guy who's never been on camera before having to move, <laughs> but they're all stunt people. They, that's all yeah. they do is, is fight on camera. Well, the, I mean, that's literally the case. And the, the confrontation with the pickup truck mm. in the end that kind of sends them flying back over the, the mm-hmm. hole that will convenient send down to the mine. I mean, that's, we talk about the, the shitty dummy. That's what we got uh, in this, but I, I will agree with you even to the point where that scene where, Rachel and Jamie are climbing on the roof to get away from Michael Myers. They're like scrambling. You know, Jamie is on Rachel's back and they're like trying to crawl over these pains. Michael Myers is just like standing and walking like he's got anti-gravity boots. Yeah. But even the way he's walking, it's this weird kind of like stilted planting one foot very deliberately. His body movements are very jerky. It's almost like he's trying to avoid like like he's drunk and trying to avoid throwing up. <laughs> it, it almost feels like it's a it's a, it's a person who no, like a stunt guy who's not really much of an actor who is trying to recreate something, but maybe is not very well for yeah. super familiar with it. It's like it's kind of like how my mom, this any any dude in the mask is Jason. You know, he's like, <laughs> well, these guys don't move very much and they're you know they're stoic, like 
they you know probably saw like a Friday the Thirteenth movie. But yeah, I'll just you know I'm just gonna stand there and you know it, it'll be good. Yeah, I I want to touch really quickly on the Halloween Kills thing because I think this movie does what pretty much everything thematically that Halloween Kills is trying to do, but ten times better. Mm. Part of that, and I'm not saying that the the it was executed that well. I think you could still you know make a little bit stronger, but part of the reason is it's only ten years later. The folks of Haddonfield dealt with this thing 10 years ago as opposed to like 40 years ago in the new movie. And also because they didn't wipe out the continuity of Halloween 2, it makes more sense why the town would be traumatized by this Michael Myers guy. In Halloween Kills, he was a guy that 40 years ago killed three people. In this movie, because they acknowledge Halloween 2, which I guess they upped the body count by 13, they say, yeah, he killed 16 people 10 years ago. That's angry drunken mob you know yeah. going out with shotguns material yeah 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 I well, it, it was ultimately my big my biggest complaint with and i also should specify i like both of the new halloween movies i think <laughs> they are significantly better than some of the ha- halloween sequels but like that was my big complaint with uh the new the the first of the two new halloweens like okay i get laurie's got a lot of trauma built up inside of her and I get why she's st- like she's afraid and all this, but w- what doesn't make sense is Michael going after her still. If right. we remove that sister element, like her being afraid, her struggling, her not quite getting past it makes sense. You know, it's it's it, it's not only survivor guilt, but it's trauma. I can buy all that. Michael going after her, even with you know Sartain or whatever guiding her there, makes no sense mm-hmm. without that connection as much as i hate that connection in two it's the only thing that really motivates these sequels well can you either of you answer me this because it's something i never quite understood i mean i guess the the sister element was introduced in halloween 2 and now it's carried forth in halloween 4 michael wants to kill his niece why does he want to kill his family did loomis ever explain like what the deal was did he ever try and hunt down his parents and kill them? You know, I don't understand what, what well, the connection is. I, I, I never I can did make either. up. A, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I have like a, I just don't want to say make up. I think I could like try to explain one. You know, um, he killed his sister. Mm-hmm. We all know that. Um, you know, in his childlike mind, I wouldn't be surprised if it was like him not necessarily separating the fact that it's a different sister and he almost feels like, well, I didn't complete it the first time. I need to continue on. Once again, this is just me spitballing here. It's never explained. Mm-mm. I feel like it, it, I feel like one could explain it, but no, it's not. The, the, see, and that's what got always got me with this motivation of, I could see coming back either to Hannonfield for just revenge or some yeah, weird, like weird stalking ad- the town, like makes sense. Stalking the town or some weird connection to his family home. He's always killing people because he's just trying to get home. Because he's they actually got that explained chi- that in Halloween right. Kills, and it's like they said that in Halloween Kills. I'm like, oh shit, that's a really smart way to do it. <laughs> he's just killing anyone who gets in his way going back home. Right, I'll easy. A- I'll, I'll actually take that over, you know, him wanting to kill his family and his sister for whatever reason. It made sense in the first one because it set that establishment of. As much as people shit on horror films, many of them are morality plays. He kills his sister because his sister was sinning in. Their house is at least the way I picked up his motivation. Sinner. She's a sinner, and he because it was a religious family, as it, it's implied, and he kills her because 
I always took it as that she was, you know, the whole slasher idea of they're sinning, he kills her. So his motivation for coming back and going after Lori, I always figured was maybe in the first ones, not that he was, his, you know, the sister, but just the babysitter that was protecting whatever the kid he wants to kill, <laughs> you know, I, or or she was just in the way. I mean, the motivation's always been tough. The sister angle was the only thread I think they were trying to explain, but I'd rather have him just either go nuts and say, I'm just killing people because I want to just I want to just go home. Where was the religious aspect in Halloween one? You're saying it came from religious family. Well, I just I it implied me there. There's a cross on the wall. I mean, they don't really bring it up, but I always took it, I guess, mentally in my head. I interpreted it as that. That's how he took it was he killed his sister because she she was, you know, uh, getting wild and busy in the home. And, you know, he didn't approve of that. I uh, again, that, that might just be my own mind filling in blanks, too. But that's just the way I took it because of some of these other horror films, you know, being morality plays whenever someone's sinning, the killer kills someone. <laughs> you know, I mean, Friday the 13th is all about that. You know, I uh, oh, no, no, I was just going to say, I think it, I just think like the whole idea of Halloween works better when there isn't really a motive, he mm-hmm. just, you know, he's the boogeyman. Snapped. Yeah. Something snapped. His sister was there. He killed her, mm-hmm. you know, and like when he escaped in the first one, I imagine, you know, he's just, he's not, he doesn't have a plan. Mm-hmm. And it's when Lori and her friends confront him. He's like, well, I have my evening planned. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like having this like, internal motivation like this fucking compass pointing you north like it's just makes the entire franchise fall apart and then they try to explain that and it's what were you gonna say ian uh don't remember oh i do remember um at the i liked uh the way this movie ends Mm -hmm. i don't quite buy it you know the whole (laughs) idea of the evil being transferred i'm not trying to wrap the show up but i'm just it's i'm tired so i want to get this out while i still remember it um but at the end of the film you know little jamie lloyd daniel harris um she touches michael myers hand Mm -hmm. and it's implied that something transfers there you know it's look this movie also owes a lot to friday the 13th the final chapter Mm mm-hmm yeah. Uh, down to in the very beginning where, you know, the, the evil guy is strapped to a stretcher, a dead or in a vegetative <laughs> state, and the hand drops down, yeah. you know, as a, as a shock moment. At the end of the final chapter, after Tommy has killed Jason, you know, he goes to hug his sister and like he turns around and you see that the, the, the eyes go wide as if like he's going to be the next Jason. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens here where Jamie, I guess, stabs her mother to death while she's drawing a bath. What I wanted to bring up was the Tom Savini problem. Uh, you know, famous makeup effects artist. He said that one of the reasons he always thought Halloween was kind of bullshit was in that famous John Carpenter establishing shot, the the opening of Halloween. When you see everything through Michael Myers' point of view, it's at the height of an adult walking down a hallway. And yet it's like this little <laughs> five-year-old kid. They make the same mistake in this movie. It's little Jamie Lloyd. Who's like three feet tall. And yet when she's walking down the hallway, she's like, you know, almost bumping into the light fixtures. That's- it didn't bother me as much in the first one. Mm-hmm. I a hundred percent agree. Um, I it didn't, it didn't bother me as much in the first one, especially because up until the reveal, you don't know whose perspective. Right. You're in. 
Right. And I think they did say they 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 got like the shortest cast member <laughs> to 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 do that that mm-hmm. that Panaglide shot. Uh, and it doesn't bother me as much because I feel like there's so much in shadow in the first Halloween in this house that I can kind of buy it. But it 100 percent bothers me in part four. Mm-hmm. But then also like you bringing up like uh, the final chapter, like like neither one of these franchises are prestige franchises. But I would consider say between Friday the 13th and Halloween, I think most people consider like Halloween to be the slightly more like elegant of the two franchises because like friday the 13th is really just kind of can be kind of grim and nasty it's almost like crazy how much better friday the 13th part four is compared to halloween four <laughs> yeah like oh yeah like halloween had the money behind it more so than friday the 13th and like fuck that movie is so much better <laughs> <laughs> like halloween what? halloween four uh, friday the 13th four is like a mess Friday the 13th 4 was, again, one of those things where they were doing something different with the franchise that you didn't expect, which was, you know, worked in its case. It didn't work with Halloween. I personally wish they would have done continued the anthology. Halloween 3 has grown on me a little bit more over the years, uh, mostly because I have so many friends who just love and adore that film. Uh, and, Tom, you know, well, anyway, Tom Atkins, but <laughs> <laughs> he's just a sexy man. Uh, but um, yeah, the, the, the Halloween franchise always has been kind of, while it's been, like you said, that kind of prestigious at the same time, it's always seemed to be kind of the back burner horror franchise versus like the Jason and the Freddy, the other two. And then at this time in 88, they're starting to try to come up with new horror icons with uh, which, yes, folks, a little spoiler will be covering at least one of these later in the year. You know, you had Pumpkinhead and Child's Play coming out uh, at this time. So people are starting to try to look at more horror franchises to launch uh, successful or not. So then you got Halloween in there still trying to like play keeping up with the Joneses. And as you mentioned, this is number four. Friday the 13th has already had seven out, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street got a little bit of a late start, but they had four, but they're in the middle of their dream trilogy. Uh, So, yeah, you get this one, which is trying to not only remind people of the original two films, which had been not out for a long time, but make up for the bad flack they got from the fan base for Halloween (laughs) three. So, you know, it had a lot of weight to try to carry. So I could see why it hit, tried to hit some of the same beats and, you know, some of the stuff worked. I wanted more of the townspeople going crazy. You have that wonderful scene actually where the cops show up just after uh, Jamie Lloyd's after her sister finds her and, you know, they find each other because they got separated and she says she's being chased by the boogie band by Mike Myers. Cop shows up to take him with Loomis. And suddenly you have Mike Myers standing there and another one and another one. <laughs> you know, I loved that angle because it was just kids playing pranks. I'm like, I kind of liked I, I liked that, I was, that was, you know, that's that, a great scene. It was it was a great scene. It sets you up and it shows you how batshit crazy Loomis is because it was great that the sheriff was just about to shoot one of them. And they're like. No, no, we're just teenagers. (laughs) But, you know, I wanted to see more of that. The town kind of shooting innocence. Not that I want to see innocent shot, but, you know, the the town kind of all comes out. Yeah, it does. (laughs) But the town losing its shit over Mike Myers, who's just walking home looking for the one girl, you know, and half of the chaos going on in town is not him, you you know. 
Uh, well, if you it, love if you love mob mentality, Mark, do I have a movie for you? No, not Halloween Kills, though, because <laughs> what worked for me in Halloween Four versus Halloween Kills was because it, I think it was just the way it was pro, uh, approached. I mean, for one, Loomis being crazy. I love crazy Loomis in this. The fact that at the end, when we get the uh, Jamie has killed her mom, which we find out in five spoiler folks attempted to kill. So you don't have like, you know, hatred that she actually killed someone according to, you know, they, they, she attempted to kill her mother uh, at the very end when she comes out with the bloody knife and the clown suit reminiscent of the, you know, Mike Myers killing his sister. Loomis was ready to just pop six in her. He was just going to pop a cap mm-hmm. in her. He was ass. Ready. Like, He's I like, mean, I've made this mistake before. <laughs> not going to do it again. Well, Mark, I also like what you were saying, too. Like, you know, the, the mob mentality aspects in this film weirdly worked. And I think, you know, we're all from, you know, we're all from the Midwest. Like these mm-hmm. all feel like guys from you know, the, the Midwest <laughs> corner bar. Whereas um, Anthony Michael Hall yeah, does not really, and it's it, no. It, it, make, it reminds me of back what I said when I was on your show talking about Halloween Kills. I think the 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 biggest missed opportunity with Halloween Kills is not casting Robert Longstreet, who played Lonnie in the in Halloween Kills, as Tommy Doyle, because mm-hmm. I think he would have made a lot of that dialogue as poorly written as it was work because he is a significantly better actor, <laughs> and I also believe that he's a dude who has not left this town and has just kind of been, you know, <laughs> fucked up from his memories more so than Anthony Michael Hall, who just looks like he's just been pumping iron since that day, getting his body ready. He doesn't seem as traumatized as he says he is. You know, that would have been an interesting angle is if Tommy Doyle had left the town and, you know, had gone out and like written books and like was like maybe hosting a TV show about hunting serial killers, all playing up this trauma for he had from 40 years ago, even though he was like adjacent to someone who experienced something. Then he comes back to the town and riles everybody up and kind of causes this chaos and is exposed to be a phony. There's a great story in there somewhere. <laughs> oh, so I think I think I, I think your idea about the the actor who played Lonnie being that kind of barfly the guy who was never able to to leave town riling up this folks yeah i believe he would be at the same bar as these guys in halloween four <laughs> yeah 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 because well, yeah, yeah that, that was my biggest thing is like you know tommy like tommy's dialogue doesn't quite work but i think out of a better actor and nothing against mike anthony michael hall he's done some good shit but like I just think that other guy could have done it better. And it really just drove it home in, when I was watching Halloween 4 because, like, well, none of those guys were necessarily – they didn't speak enough to know whether or not they're good actors or not. They just felt like dudes they pulled off the street. <laughs> and I was like, this works. This this works. And mm-hmm. Like, my favorite part of all of that is, like, when they finally – when when Michael chases them all to that, that school and they're like – and, you know uh, – a Jamie, uh, Jamie and her sister run out and be like, he's in there. And he's like, well, we saw what he did to the cop station. Let's, let's leave this to professionals. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, good. Oh, angry mob who realizes we're in over our head. What have we been doing? The, 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 the booze is wearing off. Let's get the fuck out of here. Well, but there's also a great point about motivation because in Halloween Kills, it becomes everybody gets swept up in this evil dies tonight. They all believe they're going to go fight the supernatural, you know, kind of force. Whereas in Halloween four, it's an escalation of 
everyone's hanging out at the bar. All of a sudden the news comes in that the cops are imposing a curfew. Everybody has to leave and go home. Oh, we have to and stop like, drinking. <laughs> right. <laughs> but the, the guy's like, who, I'm going to call the cops. I'm not shutting down my bar without you know a good reason. And then no one answers the phone. And so like, okay, let's go see what's going on at the police station. And they get there and there's been a massacre. And they're like, okay, so this psychiatrist is telling us that Michael Myers is back. He's the guy who killed those, again, 16 people 10 years ago. <laughs> and he's on the loose. Let's go find him. Yeah. And so and and that leads to the the drunken, possibly mm. rage fueled murder of the innocent guy, which I agree should have been, you know, kind of tied up a little bit more. But then you get the uh, sheriff Meeker, who at one point leaves the house siege because he gets these reports on the radio of these fucking vigilantes running. <laughs> it's, it's it's always considered a very well constructed script. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something it, it's got the right amount of like hollywood convenience but not enough to the point where like there's plot holes because of it Mm -hmm. Mm. like there's just a lot of cause and effect in Mm -hmm. the script which is what i which is what i really like and it should be one of those things that you don't notice until you're sitting down (laughs) like we are and kind of connecting all the dots there should never be a question about why someone is going somewhere or what their Mm -hmm. motivation is uh you know like you know, I, I I feel like there was a big part. It, granted, they're in in Halloween four. They're driving around looking for Michael, but it started because of all these logical seeds that were planted. You know, um, I just I feel like in Halloween Kills, they're just they're just kind of going off and doing <laughs> things without really a plan. Yeah. Um, whereas this one, like, there's some logic behind it. There, there is it. It the escalation and, is is set up very well. I mean, and the the screenwriter he was I was I was I was watching the, the making of on the Scream Factory disc with him, and he was talking about like, tr- like, it seems like one of the, where the where the things went wrong is the director, uh, Dwight Little. He says like, well, I didn't want to acknowledge anything but the first film because that's the great one, and I'm trying to you know, make the sequel to that one. It's like, okay, whatever, dude, you didn't. But I appreciate you trying. <laughs> what I appreciate about Alan uh, McElroy's script for this film is that he's like, okay, he's like, okay, Halloween one happened, Halloween two happened. How can I tie that stuff in? Mm-hmm. And originally, like his beginning for the film was going to be, and I wish they would have shot this because it could have been really cool. It was going to be a a slow tracking shot down a uh, a hospital hallway as the titles are rolling in, and then. Uh, the hospital wall we're looking at would fucking explode and you'd see Loomis's charred body explode out the wall, explaining how he survived in two, that he got blasted through a wall. Mm-hmm. And then the Halloween music would queue up and we'd cut to like years later and shit. And like, man, here's a guy who's trying to like, he, he respects <laughs> the material that came before, even if it all doesn't work. He's like, how can I tie this stuff in? He just seems like a smart screenwriter mm-hmm. and just seeing the way that this script is, is crafted and the way that these things play out. You know, especially because it's like, okay, we have all these characters. How do we get them in the house together? Well, okay, you know, you have the the boyfriend who doesn't really want to be with that girl. He wants to go hang out with the sweaty girl. Well, the sweaty girl is, you know, this daughter of of the sheriff. Well, of course, the sheriff has to find them and bring them all in this room together. And that's also where they have to get their drama out and have their fucking scenes with each other. And it's just, it's it's fucking really well put together, all things considered. It's just, I just don't think it's made very well. I, yeah. I, I, I want to see this movie remade <laughs> from a better director. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, yeah, I would say that's it's the direction that's the toughest part because I do like the screenplay to this and how it escalates. This though, too, take out take off the Halloween for the Halloween name altogether, and if you just change the antagonist, you still have the exposition of what happened, or you just change the name, say it's a different kind of shape bean or whatever. This is actually a decent thriller, more so than your slasher horror film, the way it plays out. I mean, it, it, it plays out almost more like you're an uh, uh, older thriller to where a lot of the horror is off screen or you see the after effects or whatnot. You know, th- this is almost handled more as a, a thriller than the slasher origins that it came from, um, you know, but it, you're right. It, the script works. It's the direction. And what's the thing with the power? Why? Why? What is with the power in this movie? We get the scene by the by the uh, gas station. Power line explodes there, plus the phone. Um, and then Myers later on throws the work guy onto the power, uh, uh, you know, plant in the power plant area there, the whatever they call it, the and explodes. It takes out power for the entire town. And what I loved about that is the minute the power went out in the town, it went ghost town. There was like nobody. <laughs> That that is also a problem because there's that scene where Rachel is running through like the backyard. She scales the fence and you know gets over the gate because she thinks. I don't think I don't know if it's established that she saw Michael Myers. She saw somebody, somebody, kind of in the yeah. Shadows and she she kind of freaked out because that was a, a matter of teleportation. If that was Michael Myers, he was just at the power station, which you get the feeling is like on the outskirts. So what's mm-hmm. going on? But he teleports the- out to the back of the truck. <laughs> yeah. we, will, we will talk about that alien queen Sulaco bullshit in a minute. But okay, the uh, thing is, okay, she's running through this backyard. It's a, cur- a curfew has been imposed. Everyone's supposed to have gone home. There's all the lights. Well, yeah, all the lights are out. But you'd think that that you'd see candles in windows or people out on their porches or, or something like keeping a jack-o'-lantern, a jack-o'-lantern. <laughs> but the whole town is dead. It's, you know, the first Halloween you could say, okay, there's nobody home because maybe they're either out trick or treating or they're at Halloween parties or something. But in this movie, or even relatively late, like, right. But in this, but people stay up late on Halloween. Right. But right. in this film, everyone's supposed to be home and yet it still has that abandoned street feeling. It just doesn't, it's kind of incongruous. <laughs> Couldn't pay for that many extras. They didn't have Halloween <laughs> kills money. That's true. That's very true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, before before we talk about um, the, the the pickup truck and Michael Myers, wow, uh, I do want to mention something. Mm. One of the the big heartbreaks of this because I was excited to see this movie when I was eleven because it had a great poster. Mm. That poster had the giant original william shatner mask on it uh, yes it yes. does and in yes. the film we have this nonsense and i'm pointing to on the screen i i think <laughs> i heard that the original mask was like underneath deborah hill's bed or some nonsense yeah they, they uh, dragged it they dragged it out for halloween because they used the exact same mask in halloween too that they had mm-hmm. in the first movie because when they knew they were gonna make it they were like john's like well, where's the mask Deborah was like, I think it's under my bed. And they found it. And that's actually the reason why in Halloween 2, the mask looks stretched because the guy who wore it in that mat in, in uh, Dick Warlock, yeah. greatest name ever, um, he uh, uh, his fa- his head was bigger, so yeah. it didn't quite fit him right. But no, it's like this has been a, a thing that they've been dealing with in every Halloween film where they just cannot get the mask right. And, and if any, Mark, if any of your listeners have the the 
the streaming service Shutter, mm -hmm. there was a short-lived one season of a show called The Core, which is like a uh, almost like a horror talk show. Mm. Um, but the first episode was kind of interesting because they had uh, a Halloween mask expert on who had replicas made from the original molds of every single movie. Wow. Was it Sean Clark? Yes, it was Sean Clark. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And he he goes through the entire history of uh, of these masks and even talks about the infamous blonde haired Michael Myers that shows up in one shot in this movie. That yeah, wow. Mm -hmm. I, I'm glad you brought that up. But here's the thing: I don't, I I understand there's a history of these masks, but I don't understand why they, they show a lot of you know intricate, very well sculpted Halloween masks in this movie. Like when Jamie's in the the drugstore and she sees all these you know crazy masks, so they had the ability <laughs> to recreate the Michael Myers mask. I feel People like I could have done it. I don't know why they went this cheap route, especially if they're going to have the icon on the post. It's kind of like. Uh, in the Friday the 13th series, if you remember the VHS for part five that had that really cheap plastic looking hockey mask because it was fake Jason. Imagine all the other Friday the 13th movies, him walking around in that mask. Like I, I, and, and maybe I'm, I, I built, I might be misremembering and I might even be making this up. Who knows? But I feel like I remember someone involved in the production saying that, they were trying to make the mask even more expressionless. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe, maybe I'm misremembering, but yeah, it's just like, and, and what's sad is this is not even the worst. Of the, no, the it's mask. not. No, it's it's no. not the worst of the masks. If anything, like one of the things, like when, when the two new Halloween movies came out, like, I autom they automatically went up in my book a little bit just because like, hey, shit, the mask actually looks decent. Hell, <laughs> I'm in. That's yeah. actually one thing I gave Rob Zombie credit for. It's like, hey, the mask doesn't look bad no. in these movies. That looks pretty fucking good. Because like, this is terrible. And then like the one shot of it being blonde. I, yeah. I know that's explained somewhere. I just don't remember. Yeah, the they. I actually that. saw that uh, in the trivia that they were originally uh, going to have it uh, blonde, but then they went with the dark hair to try to go back to the way it was um it, you know people remember it as oh, funny how that uh, works yeah yeah it's funny how that works what, <laughs> let's go with what the way it was <laughs> let's just go with the way it was yeah those masks that uh she sees when she's uh at the uh pharmacy because we're in 1988 so basically the five and dime midwest uh i've been to ben franklin many times so it felt like going to a ben franklin um oh, yeah but the masks they had there, now, I, I'm like, dude, I want some of those masks. Some of those <laughs> masks were just gnarly. Um, but what's interesting is another connection. Ian, I don't plan these. Folks, I don't plan these. I just grab movies. Here's a little trivia, if you'll indulge me, folks. In late 1986, the Canon Group, Galan and Globus, contracted producer Deborah Hill and director John Carpenter to work on a screenplay for a new Halloween film titled Halloween 4, as they were interested in optioning the rights, much like they did for Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Cannon did not like the treatment that Carpenter and Hill turned in, ultimately decided not to produce the film. Shortly afterwards, Carpenter and Hill sold all their remaining interest in the Halloween series to producer Mustafa Akkad, who promptly developed this film with a completely new script fashioned around the 1980s slasher boom. So there's our canon link to last year's special series. I didn't even plan it, folks. <laughs> did did they explain? Do you know what that treatment was that, no. that canon turned down? <laughs> I want to see. I want to read this. 
Like I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diehard John Carpenter fan. So I feel like I need to read, especially because like I fucking love Carpenter. I love how, um, and not even just talking about his movies. I just love how open he is about things. So like, I want to oh, yeah. know like what, because he was tired of Halloween at that point. I know it. <laughs> he was tired by the time he finished the first one. Um, I just want to see like what tired John Carpenter, 1988 wanted, like what his Halloween would have been like. And one of like one of my favorite stories I ever heard about John Carpenter was actually apparently on the set of the fog remake, which he was producing. And like someone from like one of the like, uh, like journal, like uh, Van Gory or some shit said they're interviewing him. So he's like, so, Hey John, why aren't you directing this one? He goes, cause I don't want to. <laughs> I, Carpenter's uh, awesome. <laughs> it's just, it reminds me of my favorite commentary on a movie. I don't listen to a lot of them, even though I have them on movies and I should, but my favorite one is Big Trouble in Little China. If you've ever heard it, oh, it's a great commentary. It's a great commentary because, like, <laughs> over half the movie is these two friends catching up while recording this. They they barely talk about the film. They're like. They're like, oh yeah, this happened. And like, well, how's the kids? I know. <laughs> point he, goes, he goes like, he goes, how's he's like, how's Wyatt doing? Yeah. I'm like, oh shit, I know who that guy is now. <laughs> you know, and so I love Carpenter's attitude. Yeah, I would have loved to seen or see what they drew up for Canon Group. If, if so. you get a chance to, his commentary that he does on the original Halloween with mm. Jamie Lee Curtis is really funny because at first. Because it's them, like just a couple years ago, I want to say, like when they first re-released it on Blu-ray, it was mm. like when they did that digi book of it, um, and Carpenter's being his normal cagey Carpenter self, mm-hmm. and Jamie Lee Curtis is like getting him out of that, <laughs> and it's just really funny because, like, you know, because like, Carpenter's not talking through a portion of it, so when, so when they're talking about like that opening tracking shot, and. Uh, Jamie Jamie Lee is pretty much like I remember when we were shooting this and it's like and I remember you were doing invisible edits and Carpenter finally tunes in and be like oh he's like like, we have invisible edits how many invisible edits are there and she goes he's like count them for me so it's like (laughs) making her do like filmmaking trivia she goes there she's like there's one right there I'm like okay there's one (laughs) so he's just kind of being like a jerk but like like they're been, they've been friends forever type jerk. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so here's a seed. Here's a seed. I wish they would have left in. Actually, Mike coincidentally was looking for a new mask at the store. They cut the scene at the same time. Jamie was there and he grabs a Ronald Reagan mask and was going to try that on, but decides not to throws it away and grabs the bleached Shantner mask off the shelf. So apparently we were supposed to see him grab the new mask from the store. Uh, and you know, when he throws the mask away, you know, who picks it up. Hmm. Patrick Swayze. Patrick Swayze. <laughs> <laughs> um, you had to bring point break into it. Did he? Of course. <laughs> of course. Young Patrick Swayze grew up in Haddonfield, Illinois. Then he split to California to go surfing and rob banks. Whoa. It works. Yeah. I'd um, watch it. I'd watch but, it. Okay. Yeah. I want to, b- before we, I forget, um, hmm. I mentioned the alien queen. There's yeah. a scene during the climax yes. of this movie. The rednecks are uh, on the road, bunch of armed dudes in the truck, along with uh, Rachel and Jamie. Here's cinema. Yes. Okay, so 
did Michael Myers, he was like hanging on to the undercarriage of the, the truck. Was Did he get a face full of exhaust, which wouldn't have that have like discolored his mask? He climbs up on the back of the truck. He starts murdering people. There is clearly a shot where there's a guy yes. who's got a shotgun yes. who's facing forward <laughs> as two of his friends are being brutally murdered, like right behind him. And he doesn't turn not, to like, huh? Not even behind him. The second guy that Mike Myers offs is next to him. He literally grabs and bumps into the guy who's looking. At him. Like, honestly. <laughs> So this movie came out years before the movie I'm about to reference. But as yeah. I was watching that scene, I was like, man, how cool would it have been if they go to shoot Michael Myers and then it becomes like a T-1000 thing where like, his face is like blows away, but it all comes back. And that explains like, like how he's been like, kept, I don't know. That, can you imagine just like the ballsiness of something like that? It probably would have been terrible, but fuck. I... I think that's what this movie is missing. I mean, because as much as I love Donald Pleasance, well, well, as much as I love Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis, by this point, it's just shtick. You know that every time Mm -hmm. Loomis opens his mouth, it's not going to be a thing smart. It's going to be like that fake profound that evil is here. They don't know what they're fighting. Maybe nobody knows how to stop it. Like, dude, just... What are you doing? It's not a bad Pleasance, actually. No. That's impressive. Yay. (laughs) But no, but but my point is, I love him. Like, he's awesome in the first movie. Again, I don't remember much about the second one, but in this one, I'm like. He's actually not bad in the second one. Like, he's trying. Considering how much he hated doing these movies, like, the first two of them, he's he's not bad. Mm -hmm. And he has has little moments in some of the later ones where he's not bad. The the less he has to move. (laughs) (laughs) Just like Michael Myers. Yeah. Well, that's what was funny is it, you get that scene too at the at the gas station where he confronts Myers and oh, someone's got to explain to me. I had this problem even in in the early films. He was what ten when he killed his sister, give or take, or eight eight ten. He was ten, like ten ish. Needless to say, he was not driving age at all. When did Mike Myers learn how to drive? Because he drives a car. Well, I imagine. <laughs> I imagine. He didn't look on the Internet and Google it. I imagine he sent a letter every week to get funds to build a library. Very much like Andy Dufresne. So that way he can get a book and learn how to read. <laughs> learn how to drive a car from a book. He read the, <laughs> the Smith's Grove Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, I, I like actually, like, I imagine, like, by the time he got the Haddonfield, he was pretty decent at it. But I'm sure, like, those like 50 miles uh, <laughs> before, before Haddonfield was a lot of like starting and stopping and trying to get a well, feel for like how you use the pedals. Well, but then it was an automatic too, and then the truck is a shift. So how the hell did he? <laughs> uh, they have a really extensive library. <laughs> They also have some Hank Williams albums. Yeah, the Hank Williams <laughs> albums. No, that's what always just I, I understand. It's just movies, whatever. But it just always got me. I'm like, he's been a kid in the asylum forever, and he manages to just pop in a car. And, oh, he's driving to Hadfield, and he knows where it is. He doesn't have a map, but he knows where it is, too. I mean, evil know. doesn't need a map. <laughs> No, but evil dies tonight. Uh, Can I just say, like, since we're, we're talking about the first Halloween, so, one of my favorite little moments in that film is w- when the when the uh, 
the guy who runs the uh, asylum was like, well, he doesn't know how to drive a car. And Loomis is like, well, he was doing fine last night. <laughs> and then he and then he leaves and he was parked in a handicap spot. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know he's pure evil. That's how you know he's pure evil. <laughs> yeah. like I just love the Like the little things that Loomis does in that movie just show that he is just as nuts. He's parked in a handicap spot. The only time he smiles in that movie is when he scares a child. Yeah, 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 pretty much. <laughs> He's pretty nuts himself. Well, and then there's the kids, too, in Haddonfield. Man, they're nothing but brats, I tell you. We get Jamie Lo- we get Jamie here, who's just trying to go to school, and you've got your group of bullies who are freaking harsh. Holy balls are they? I mean, I've been bullied in school when I was young, but damn. Jamie's an orphan. Jamie's an orphan. (laughs) Bullies in movies are so much worse. (laughs) It just, it got me. But then later on, because she wasn't going to do the Halloween thing, well, then she changes her mind and she's going to do the the Halloween costume. She meets up with the same kids. They're like, oh, hey, that's a great costume. Hey, you want to go with us? And they go trick or treat. And it's like, la, 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 la. She was wearing a mask. They didn't know it was her. I attributed that to the fact that like kids are shitty to each other, except when an adult is around. Oh, that could so be. Rachel yeah. was with her at that point. Like, oh, you great costume. <laughs> um, speaking of shitty behavior, that scene in the drugstore where Jamie thinks she, she, I guess she does see Michael Myers or she thinks yeah. she does. And then she falls into a mirror, <clears throat> breaks it. And then Rachel hears her collapse runs over to her knocks dramatically over this spinner of greeting cards. And then she just picks up Jamie and says, come on, let's go home. I'm, like, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're going to pay for this or clean this. Like nobody says anything. It's a small town. No, no, no it's no. it's fine. So you know, one, look, Kathleen it- Kinmont playing Kelly. My God, I was going to say that's KKK, but uh, <laughs> she, she would have at least because she didn't like Rachel very much. She would have been said. She would have said something like, "Um, excuse me." Sorry. One scene that's like it, it, it's always bothered me. Like you know, there's just like this is a scene that's always bothered me in this movie. So when we first get that first scene of Jamie and she's in her bedroom by herself, mm-hmm. and like she gets like these flashes of Michael Myers, how the fuck does she know who he is at this point? It's always bugged me. She doesn't know who he is. She has no connection to him yet, but she's seeing him like appear from behind her bed and his reflection in the mirror. And she like, how does she like it, that? That doesn't make any sense unless it is some kind of like the way that she connects to him at the end. If this is supposed to be some really not well established connection to evil, because she's seeing him in a mask that he doesn't even have yet. So yeah, maybe it's like she can see it's kind of like the force. You can see the present and the future and things that happened and things that you know haven't happened or might be. Uh, it's it's all bullshit, but that's <laughs> the only thing I can attribute it to. It, it it gets explained. This is another one of those, and this is why I'm reserving my full judgment of just how much I like or don't like Halloween kills is the movie after it. In Halloween five, there's more of the psychic link between Myers and and yeah but and her none of of that was planned well no no i'm just saying though that that you know i wonder if they came up with that partly to help explain the earlier stuff because yeah how does she know unless she read news articles and stuff about her mom and they never even really go into how her mom and her dad died um you you know (laughs) 
<laughs> it's like because in in 10 years since the previous events of Halloween two, uh, Jamie, you know, uh, Laurie Strode got married, got pregnant, had a kid who's, you know, eight. So it had to be two years after the events of the and she died at some point. Eleven months ago. Yeah. Eleven when, when months prior. Up, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's always weird cause they never really explain what's going on there as far as, you know, Jamie Lloyd and that whole thing. Uh, maybe those visions she had were implants from the thorn cult. Mm. Yeah. Which comes up. I can't, yeah. I can't say shit about the thorn cult. I have the tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Nice. I wanted at the time. So a friend of mine uh, was doing tattoos and was wondering how to do it. And I wanted a small little tattoo that was a, a reference to the Halloween franchise, but is only nerdy enough that people who really like the Halloween franchise <laughs> get. So like I even have that on the same wrist point in the same direction and shit. Nice. Yeah. Well, but here's a, here's a question not to demean your tattoo, but oh, demean it all you want. Aren't people who are really into the Halloween franchise not that big a fan of the thorn cult <laughs> probably they might understand know. it but it's like i get that i love jar jar binks no <laughs> um you know when and i know we're going a little long we'll wrap it up here soon but there's one other scene that i think is actually rather important and interesting i actually took oh, a and note before we wrapped two. up too i also want to like challenge you guys to do for something okay but, i'm uh, not getting a thorn tattoo <laughs> um <Not> yet <laughs> Touche. Go ahead, Mark. Um, the scene where Loomis, because he gets left in the dust, he's he's walking. He tries. He thinks thinks these teenagers are going to give him a ride. They drive off. So then this crazy priest, classic who, teenagers, classic teenagers. You know, oh my old man, <laughs> leave him in the dust. And up into this old truck comes this old priest who picks up Loomis, guy older than Loomis. Loomis, you think is going to be the oldest guy in the? Nope. We have this priest who's, who's, by the way, also calls him old man. Who also calls him old man. And he's drinking and driving because he's putting his faith in, 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 you know. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. But I I love the conversation that they have in there because he talks about how he's hunting the apocalypse. And Loomis. Oh, I wanted more of that. Agrees. I, I wanted more of this old priest. I found him fascinating. The whole line of you can't kill damnation is an awesome. It's like. That's it, better than evil dies tonight. It is. It's better than evils die. But what's even more is that I love it. And maybe it's me making lakes out of puddles, but you almost see what Loomis could become if he continues his obsession with Michael is this old priest, because this old priest talks about he's been hunting down, you know, the apocalypse for 30 years and he's never quite, you know, and he realizes you can't kill damnation, but he's still hunting it. And I'm like, that's kind of like Lewis. I mean, he knows evil on two legs is Mike Myers. You can't really kill evil, yet he still pursues Mike regardless. But, you know, yeah. unlike other cautionary tales, that priest seems like something that Loomis could aspire to. Like, <laughs> and stuff. like Loomis is on the verge of being a broken old man because of his obsession. That priest, he's got it going on. He's singing. I, that, and Right. But that scene with the teenagers, if this had been a bit of a harder, meaner movie, Loomis had that gun. I could have, like, he got up to the car. Not that saying he should have shot them. He's like, okay, fuckers. They like put, forces them all out of the car and leaves them behind. And he takes the car, and drives ahead, and feels. 
and probably <laughs> spares their life in the course of it. <laughs> Shoots the car. He's like, ah, oh, I got your evil radio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> evil drives tonight. Evil drives tonight. <laughs> It drives a stick. Uh, <laughs> hey, it's driving a tow truck. Maybe it could give me a pull out of the ditch. Uh, you know, <laughs> what, what did you want to challenge us with, Mike? So we've kind of already talked about it, but I on on, on my show, the Shameless Picture Show, we always try to because it, it it has happened where me and Nick just don't like a movie very much, and mm. we always force each other to find something we legitimately really liked about a movie, and why we would recommend it to someone. So while we've already talked, we've definitely talked about a lot of things we don't like and a couple of things we like. I, unless there's something else you want to end on, Mark, I always like to end on something positive. Oh, no, I always something, love, I always love, uh, yeah, I always love, you know, cause I think it challenges, I think it challenges cause it's, you know, I, you know, we, I think we all listen to a lot of movie related stuff and it's very easy for some shows just to be negative all the time. And not saying that's what this case was, but just in general. So I always like to end on something positive and find something you really liked about the movie, even if you didn't really like the movie. It's what? always been my, inter- my, my opinion that if there was one good scene, it wasn't worth, it wasn't a waste <laughs> of time. One of the things we try to do on a spoiler room, and I think we've been fairly successful outside of maybe one or two films is always try to keep it somewhat positive, at least to where it's not a complete slam fest. I've always tried not to except for vacation that remake movie fuck that movie it can die and burning a pile of festering snot anyway uh but other than that movie the uh the latest vacation uh yeah ian why'd you go first uh it's great for 11 year olds (laughs) that barely counts but okay (laughs) (laughs) it's not wrong yeah it's i i can see that it's you're not wrong this is actually I mean, even there's Im- the implied nudity, but not actual full uh, nudity that you've gotten in other slasher films. It's a, kind of mostly implied, a little shadowy, little covered. But this would be tween, you know, preteen gateway horror. You could you could make this a, a, a gateway horror film. I think. Yeah, um, it scared the shit out of me when I was younger, and it's not mm-hmm. even that scary of a movie. No, but you don't have really a lot of outside of the one. Very brief it is too. Throat rip. You really don't have anything too major happening on screen. A lot of it's in the shadows, on the dark. Even the bloody corpses are covered in shadows. Although I will say it's kind of nasty because Myers uses his thumb to great effect. During yeah, two kills in this movie. One goes through yeah. an ambulance attendant's forehead, and the other goes through another guy's like cheek. Yeah, uh, you know the guy on the stairs. Yeah, bad stuff. <laughs> So that was cool. That that's positive. I like that. I like the thumbs. <laughs> Michael Myers is all thumbs. <laughs> all thumbs. Uh, I let's see the one the one true good thing I liked actually was uh, I mentioned it before. I really and I didn't hate this film. In all honesty, I I enjoy it. it as we mentioned, it's fine. Uh, I don't think anyone here like regrets like oh my god this was just a drudge to watch. It's not. There's a lot of interesting elements in here. I will say I really enjoyed the priest and Loomis conversation only because and one of the reasons I I think it stuck out with me, especially watching it this time, not just because I'm old, but it's the first time where someone was talking with Loomis and they didn't miss a beat with the way he was talking. You know, like the sheriffs are like, oh, great. Here comes crazy Loomis, you know, and then he doesn't really they don't 
quite believe him. Oh, he's going on about Mike Myers again. He's going on a bender. Fine. We'll go and check, you know. But here's this, this priest is just like, oh, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, he just he doesn't miss a beat. And it's a wonderful conversation between these two. And it's the first time we've seen up until that point in the film where people don't look at, well, you know, it's Loomis the first like. person who does. It. Yeah, it's the first person who doesn't think he's crazy because he's just as crazy, just, if not more so. <laughs> right. Well, it's and it's a great observation, Mark, because it's also <laughs> the first time in these movies that we've seen where Loomis doesn't look absolutely exasperated talking to someone else. And actually, if anything, what's great about that scene is like, like Loomis is kind of looking at him as like, okay, Captain <laughs> <Juicy>. <laughs> yeah. Like Loomis, now you know how everyone feels around you. Right? And that guy, you know, he's not phased. That old grizzly priest who's probably seen a lot of shit. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, too. This guy has a small role, but you feel like this guy has seen some some things you know even though loomis has it's like this priest has been through a lot and i i love that scene that that scene was actually rather endearing because it was just these guys talking and and you know first time loomis did get the crooked eye like oh he's just kind of here you know as for show he's not really here officially anymore they were playing him off as loomis is just kind of the crazy you know token guy and here's this guy's just talking to him they're just shooting the shit about chasing damnation and they're crazy <laughs> mm-hmm. and for it you know for me i really liked that that was a character moment we get from loomis that's something other than crazy obsessed evil on two legs you don't know what you're fighting he's evil oh look at the evil you know <laughs> hmm. so i guess that for me is what it is so what about you mike i know you you, you said uh so there's three things that I, I kind of respond to in this film. One, I really like um, the relationship between uh, Jamie and uh, Rachel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of like while Rachel was never like downright other than that one scene where she really didn't want to babysit Jamie. She was never like really downright, downright shitty, but it was kind of I kind of like uh, her little arc of truly feeling like she had to protect Jamie because mm-hmm. I feel like. It's, I feel like it'd be very easy for her to be like, you're not my real family. Bye. <laughs> Just fucking leaving her. And she didn't do that, which was which was cool. I, I really like the way that this film kind of opens up the world of Haddonfield. Like mm-hmm. this one feels more like the Midwest than, <laughs> than I think any of the other ones. True. Mm-hmm. Uh, truly like the way the way the neighborhoods are laid out in the houses. At one point, Rachel is like walking down an alley and it's it's the most Midwestern feeling alley that I've ever seen <laughs> other yeah. than maybe the alleyway in Halloween two, where he's like, yeah. like they have this amazing tracking shot down an alley in Halloween two, Um, and it just, I just like the feeling of the town. You know, it, like I said, it just feels other than it being completely fucking empty. It feels like a Midwestern town. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, Halloween five also, and I think even six also shoot in the same area, but they do a way horror job at framing out the mountains of salt lake city <laughs> so me and amanda always joke about the great mountain range of illinois <laughs> amanda being my wife um and then it's it's always hard to talk about like music for these films because it's a lot of the same but i really like that alan Howarth kind of takes the mm-hmm. the the reins from carpenter and manages to make something that's simultaneously faithful to what carpenter had established in the first two films but then it's still it's still quite good. Like, oh yeah, no. Like on the surface, like oh, there's the Halloween theme, there's the music we all know. But he's doing some really interesting things, 
and manages to breathe a lot of life into this film. And then I also, you know, watched it in, in, in surround sound mm -hmm. and the way that the music kind of envelops you is really interesting. And actually, and I guess this is a fourth thing for all of you audiophiles out there. The, the movie has a really nice sound mix to mm -hmm. it. And I looked up a lot of the guys who worked on, on the post-production sound of this film. And they would also go on to do films like platoon. <laughs> so like they had some big heavy hitters in terms yeah. of doing like, uh, interesting, like Dolby stereo surround mm -hmm. mixes for this film. So like if you, if you're a surround sound nut, like I do, this is a, a really pleasing sonic experience and probably one of the better sounding of the Halloween I'm, films. I'm glad you brought that up because, uh, on my, it's vinyl mine where I did the, 12 vinyl in 12 days a couple of them i did were carpenter scores where alan holworth was a collab collaborator with it so if you're going to get someone who takes over a score for a john carpenter series you'll want this guy because he worked on with him on uh escape from new york and christine both uh he's credited with so again if you're going to have a guy take over halloween music why not a guy who's worked with? <laughs> I actually met Alan Holworth and I got him to sound my, sign my cop in my Halloween two vinyl. Oh, nice. And I, I asked him just, you know, yeah. I always try to find some sort of unique question mm -hmm. uh, for the, for whenever I get a chance to meet some of these people. And I, and I said to him, I was like, well, you worked with John Carpenter a lot. What's the best piece of advice he's ever given you? Mm -hmm. And he said, um, he's like, when I first met John Carpenter, I was pretty new to doing soundtracks and he said carpenter taught me that he said uh, music in a film should be a silk glove soft to the touch nice and That's you can nice. see that in a lot of carpenter you can hear that excuse me in a lot of carpenter's scores actually and yeah. depending on the movie of course but um you know i was listening to uh, not to go too far in a tangent, but I was listening to the Escape from New York vinyl. I'm just hoping that as you talk, we can get Ian to fall asleep. No, I don't. No, we'll, we'll finish up here because I know Ian's tired. He's <laughs> uh, had a long day. 4 a.m., guys. Yes, no. I know. Uh, um, I got <laughs> 5 a.m. Get over it. I, I got 4 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> I'm um, sleeping in, by the way. <laughs> uh, but listening to like his Escape from New York score, it sounded very similar with uh, what he did for They Live in many respects uh you know carpenter's style like that so that makes sense with the silk glove because um he it, it, they're not always complicated scores but they're definitely interesting to listen to and they they fit they wrap the film very well especially some of the scenes you know uh alan holworth with halloween four he brings back some of those uh cues and such that carpenter had in you know the first films but he also makes it his own um, yeah. you know, you still have the, uh, the, you know, the, he's not, he's not necessarily doing like the, the, the Harry Manfredini, like Friday the 13th <laughs> thing where he's legitimately just ripping himself yeah. over and over again. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, 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 he takes the music that was established and expands it. He, he expands it, does re instrumentation. You still get that kind of, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, um, Mike Myers, uh, stepping what I call the stepping tone, where you in the first couple, especially, you have that heavy done, 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 done. You know, yeah, I do exactly what you, you, you know what I'm talking about. And in here, he does it, but it doesn't have quite, it didn't sound like it quite had as much that heavy bass like in the previous versions. It's still there, it's still that rhythm, but there's a few tracks in here where he does it, but it's, it's not as prominent as heavy as it was you know he's not banging on the piano for that chord quite as hard um at least it seemed to me in, in some scenes but again 
uh, could be my tinnitus too. But <laughs> with that, uh, well, what, but yeah, one yeah. other quick thing that I liked, yeah, and I forgot about this, but hey. at the end of this movie, uh, Rachel is catatonic. Yeah. The hero who has rescued Jamie and, you know, there's this nice reunion back of the house. Um, she's just sitting on the couch. She's checked out. She's <laughs> she completely. She, yeah, well, she's completely. It's But it's not like a lot of these slasher movies where everything's kind of fine. And she's like comforting Jamie saying, yeah, the boogeyman's gone or whatever. She's like, there's some real world trauma there. But also the fact that Sheriff Meeker has not yet discovered what has happened to his daughter. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's still back at the house, like <laughs> preventing Loomis from blowing Jamie's head off. But that's another, you know, that's something that we got in like the Rob Zombie movies with, the, you know, <laughs> Daniel Harris playing the sheriff's daughter who ends up, you know, getting uh, horribly killed, I think, in the second one. Um, so, yeah, it's just a nice, there's these things that are kind of oh. left, not necessarily for a sequel, but just kind of left untied for the you, audience you, to imagine. You, what mentioning that that mo- you, men- you mentioning that moment in, I think it was Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 of yeah. like the sheriff's reaction. It still guts me. It's such a good, well-executed scene. But Brad Dorf, man. Yeah. So, well, thank you, gentlemen. This has been fun. Thank you for our live uh, tune-in listeners. We've had a number of people jump in and out tonight. And I'm doing something a little different before we end the night and before we do the license to shill. Okay, pick one category. And uh, we're going to have Michael pick the category tonight. Uh, comedy classics, action movies, or Oscar winners. Comedy classics. Comedy classics. All right, here we go. I, I will say I'm I'm still I, I, action movies are a bit of a blind spot for me, especially a lot of the the eighties ones. So. I got a Christmas gift, the big movie quiz, and so we're gonna end the episodes with a trivia question every night from this big movie quiz because why not? Damn it, it's my show. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Ian, pick one or two. Two. All right. Oh. Fucking easy. The answer shit. is Freddy got fingered. <laughs> no. What Every is, answer in that book should be. What is, oh, great. Now I forgot who I put on here, the Freddy Got Finger fan club. Anyway, um, what is the name of Daniel Craig's character in Knives Out? Pierre Blanc? A foghorn leghorn. Both wrong. <laughs> you were close. You were close. It's actually uh Benoit Blanc. Uh <laughs> So, haha. Ah, so there's two questions on every card. That's why I had you pick uh, one or two, uh, Ian. So, all right. there you go. Well, I like this. I, I, so, that's how we'll end it. And now, as always, the final nail in the coffin for our first four on the floor in our first episode of. So, back to Halloween Four. <laughs> 2022. <laughs> license to shill, folks. So, Mike, please, license to shill. You, uh, you mentioned your podcast. Please, the floor is yours. So I, I've been hosting a podcast for the last five years called the Shameless Picture Show. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal Mark's catchphrase. We're small but mighty. Um, and uh, uh, we're about to start our sixth season. We're on a little nice. mid-season break at the moment. Um, but you can find us on www.shamelesspictureshow.com. My website, uh, my wife made that website. Uh, we're on pretty much all major streaming platforms. I think we just got an Audible and Amazon. So. Oh, I did just find out that we are on some weird Portu- Portuguese podcasting website that somehow <laughs> is higher on the Google search than my actual website, which is kind of cool. 
um but no we've we, we we have some great episodes some of some of the highlights being uh back in season one i believe we did a very long episode uh, uh on rocky yeah. uh where my co-host had never seen it um and then to top that episode off i get an exclusive interview with lloyd kaufman talking about working on rocky i get him to talk just about his his friendship with john g abelson and rocky nice um uh, we have a three-hour episode on Cannibal Holocaust where I sit down with uh, the the promoter of Mondo Lucha Wrestling in Wisconsin to talk about Cannibal Holocaust. Wow. Um, uh, and then for my 100th episode, we I have Andre Gower from the Monster Squad on. Uh, and you can hear me cry, so that's a fun one. <laughs> it's just like, just, just nostalgia cries. Uh, so doing that. Uh, like I've been doing that. I'll be, we'll be starting our sixth year, me and my co-host Nick Richards. On top of that, I also um, am a filmmaker a little bit on the side. I'm working on a music video currently for a local band called The Directionals that should be out uh, hopefully within the next month or so. And um, yeah, you can also find me on TikTok, which feels super weird. But it is. I took it's I took weird. I took a page off of Mark's book, <laughs> and like seriously, like one video of me unboxing something has gotten more listens than my last ish- episode of the podcast. What? Right, right. <laughs> so I know. So I, I moved all my physical media reviews over to TikTok. I'm also on Letterboxd. Um, I've already got like five movies for the year. <laughs> Two of them are short, so that barely counts, yeah. but whatever. There you go. <laughs> and Mr. Ian Simmons, those few who may not uh, know where your stuff is, shame on you folks. Uh, please, the floor is yours. Uh, I'm going to drag this out so that we can officially end on the same running time as Halloween 4. <laughs> um, oh, boy. <laughs> no, I, I've uh, Ian Simmons. I run Kicking the Seat, which you can find at kickseat.com. I also have a YouTube channel, which is where I do most of my stuff. Uh, you know, movie reviews, interviews, roundtables, live shows, Marvel projects. Uh, go to YouTube and look up Kicking the Seat. And uh, we'd love to have you subscribe and watch and enjoy and comment and all that other stuff. I'm taking a page, uh, also taking a page from Mark and not listening to advice. I am reading the comments and I've started making videos about reading the comments that I receive. Uh, I've got another one in the works. Unfortunately, people keep commenting on stuff, which <laughs> didn't ever used to happen. Now I just can't stop. I'm like, please stop giving me feedback. So I got to get too, on the ball. too late now. Now you've started the snowball. Seriously. Uh, well, Definitely check out Michael's stuff. Check out Ian's stuff, folks. I literally just subscribed to your podcast. <laughs> oh, nice. we're you're talking. Awesome. So there you have it, folks. Please, yes, check out Michael's and Ian's stuff. And if you're interested at all, our other stuff on our website, the Sp- uh, Special Mark Productions. I've got two reviews coming up. Uh, we're doing four on the floor. Next week is uh, uh, Hellraiser Bloodlines. So Pinhead in Space, can't wait to talk about that. Uh, we're what The fourth one they sent them to space? Yeah. They, they waited no time. No, no, they didn't. Uh, <laughs> and then, of course, uh, our Horror of 88, which kind of uh, inspired this uh, month, uh, kicks off uh, with an, their inaugural special episode, which will be Nightmare on Elm Street 4, and we're finishing it off with uh, Friday the 13th 4. So it should be Ooh. an interesting month here. Keep it here, folks. Check out our Patreon if you want to tell me what you'd like to see on our channel. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. And now we'll just say a good night, everyone. Good night. Evil, dri- Evil dies tonight. No drives. It drives. <laughs> <laughs>
You have been listening to a Special Mark Productions production. If you're looking for even more Spoiler Room content, head on over to our Patreon.com slash Special Mark Productions site, where you can join one of our reasonably priced tiers and get access to even more exclusive content. Speaking of getting access, head on over to SpecialMarkProductions.com and click our new merchandise store link, which will take you to our store where you can get some of that sweet, sweet Spoiler Room merchandise and wear the logo of your favorite podcast. There's also Final Cut and Special Mark Productions merchandise as well. All kinds of things for all kinds of tastes. We thank you once again, and remember, in the Spoiler Room, the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies.